Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 9, A Hotelier in Hot Water This was not the call Gabe had been expecting. Since the moment Shirelle had reluctantly accepted the flight money, he'd been confident he was giving her a better life. It had been a trying week. He'd gone to sleep hungry each night in underpasses and shop doorways, desperate to save the cash he had left and lacking the energy to hustle. Today he'd woken up smiling though, counting down the minutes before he could take the phone call at Sandro's house. He was certain the person on the other end would sound so content and full of joy that it'd lift him from his own despondence. Sis, you gotta tell me, you say you got digs? Hmm. No one's mistreating you? Nah. Then what's wrong? What the hell is up with you? Say what? You sound miserable, sis. I thought I was giving you a lifeline sending you out there. The phone fell silent. You still there, Shirelle? Yeah. Well, tell me what's up. Okay. There was another silent break. I was supposed to be paid today, but they say there's a problem at my hotel. What kind of problem? Not sure. My boss, Mr Corswell, he's not paid no one. What do you mean? He mentioned there was some problem and his accounts got frozen. The lawyer was here to sort it all out, but he left. He had something urgent to sort out in England or somewhere. Mr Corswell say the man is coming back to straighten it all out, but right now he can't pay us and I'm meant to be moving into my new room today. This boss of yours, you trust him? Or you think he's feeding you all crap? I think I trust him. Everyone says he's a good man. Nothing like this has happened before. He says it's some kind of mix-up and his lawyer will fix it as soon as he comes back. Okay, how much are you short? Gabe almost regretted asking the question. Denise from the hotel says she can bump me 50. She trusts Mr Corswell too. Gabe cussed to himself. He thought on the issue for a second. It was all well and good getting his sister out there. But what would this serve if he couldn't help her now? He sighed. If I send you another 50, will you be sorted until all this gets cleared up? No, Gabe, I can't let you do that. Then what are you going to do? What's your plan? The phone went silent again. See, that's what I thought. Gabe, you're my little brother. You're not supposed to be looking out for me like this. Should be the other way round. I might be your little brother, but ain't no one need to be looking out for me. Where are you staying now, Gabe? Look, just give me the details of where I can send it. He listened as his sister conferred with someone behind her. Is that Denise with you now? Yeah. Can't I send it to her? The line fell silent again for another minute. Eventually, Shirelle returned with some bank details. Gabe jotted them down and hung up the call. Gabe's survival often rested on knowing the right people. Although there were dozens of folks with bank accounts, there were few he could trust to send money for him. For this, he had to walk to a paper shop in Prince's Town. An hour later, he entered and found old Reg at the counter. Oh boy, here comes trouble. Reg! Gabe gave the man a fist bump and wasted no time in explaining his request. I suppose that's no trouble, Reg said, carefully inspecting the collection of notes he was handed. 
Gabe felt a knot in his empty stomach as he watched them disappear into the man's wallet. Reg used his mobile phone to make the transaction. All done, he said. You better not be ripping me off, Gabe said, wagging his finger. The old man laughed. Nah, Cheryl's a sweet girl, I wouldn't do her like that. He knew Reg's word was good. He'd offered the boy refuge in his home during a particularly violent storm last summer. An arrangement his wife Mabel had not been the least bit happy about. Gabe wondered what felt emptier when he left the shop. His pockets or his stomach. Knowing the two were not mutually exclusive. He trusted that his sister would eventually get the $50 back to him, but he had no idea when. The life of a young drifter was fraught with fear and uncertainty. As well as eating no more than the odd scrap of food in days, he'd not slept for more than a few hours without being moved on. His devious little mind reeled through his survival options. In the last couple of years, he'd amassed a mental file cabinet of scams to contemplate, with some ideas seeming to lie dormant until true desperation set in. As long as he could avoid certain areas, sleeping rough never seemed too much of an imposition. The climate was forgiving in that respect. Starvation was the real worry. To him, this was the penalty imposed for not showing enough initiative. And now that he was completely penniless, only two options remained. Grift or go hungry. Since the death of his mother two years ago, Gabe learned quickly that taking his chances on the streets was preferable to living with an abusive drunk of a father. Banking on the charity of acquaintances and conniving for the odd dollar here and there were his primary means of existence. He'd burned a fair few bridges in his short life, considering the few people that he'd remained on good terms with did not take long. Patrice, the name flashed like the spark from a flint. Gabe liked Patrice. He was intense, a career criminal with a murky reputation, but Gabe didn't judge anyone for such things, and from what he gathered, the kind of activity the man involved himself with was non-violent. He wasn't sure if he knew of any geniuses in Trinidad. Patrice was the closest thing. A whiz with computers, the white South African appeared to make a living via various virtual deceptions. Gabe marched to Patrice's house. He lived alone on the outskirts of the port of Spain, in a modest two-bedroom shanty. He knocked on the door. The blinds were down and he had no idea if his friend was even home. Thinking back, he'd never known him not to be. He was pretty certain the gentleman had a crippling fear of leaving his house, which wasn't so irrational considering the area he lived in. His nickname was The Ghost, and Gabe attributed this to the man's paleness. He always looked ill. The sunlight he continually avoided would have benefited him more than most. Patrice answered. He looked Gabe up and down. Oh, it's you, little man, he said, his posture relaxing. I thought it was someone else. His abrupt guttural accent gave the impression of irritability. Listen, now's not a good time. He went to shut the door and Gabe spoke up. Why's now a bad time? Just is, okay? I'm busy. Busy doing what? Gabe knew this questioning tactic was his best approach. Patrice was a naturally chatty individual. He was almost compelled to reply when quizzed. I was in the middle of something monumental, if you must know. But there's a problem. Gabe noticed the slight emphasis the man placed on the word monumental. What's so monumental and what's the problem? Maybe I can help. Patrice's eyes shifted back and forth. Hmm, maybe, he said. 
His face looked strained. Go on, come in, quickly. He opened the door, Gabe grinned and stepped inside. Patrice's living area looked more like a computer scrapyard. The floor was littered with electronic units and parts. He had at least half a dozen PCs and even more laptops. Some of them were currently running, their exposed inner workings whirling and flashing with activity. So, Gabe asked, what are you working on? He knew Patrice trusted him, he'd not yet given the man a reason not to. Well, I was in the middle of the best work of my entire life until this piece of shit conked out on me. He lazily kicked at a server on the floor in front of them. I was this close, little man. He held his thumb and forefinger, half an inch apart. What brings your mischievous little self over here anyway? Nowhere else to go, Gabe answered honestly. A few days ago, I was rich, but I had to give it all away. Not even a dime left to buy food now. Hmm. Patrice rubbed his stubble chin for a moment. Tell me, little man, you're still the best little cat burglar in Trini. I could be, Gabe said, entirely nonchalant. Okay, well then maybe I have a proposition for you. I'm listening. How about this? You do something for me, and I'll provide you with food and a bed for a week. Maybe we'll even organise a regular deal between us. What you need? I need you to get me a laptop. Gabe looked around the room, eyeing the superfluity of such devices already in Patrice's possession. You short on them? he asked with a smirk. It's a certain type of laptop I need. More specifically, it's what's inside it. Inside it? Yes, the motherboard. Patrice rummaged around the cluttered living area. He eventually found a notebook and a pen and frenziedly scribbled out a list. He ripped off the page and handed it to Gabe. Find me any of these laptops and I can get back on track with my project, but it's time sensitive, you get me? I need it by tomorrow or the offer is dead. If this plan of yours is so amazing and you can get such a big payoff, why don't you just buy one of those laptops? Patrice laughed loudly. Those laptops aren't cheap, little man, and I told you, I'm short on time. Gabe stared at the thin, sickly man doubting that the issue involved money. He suspected that the real reason was his inability to step outside, or to trust anyone enough to buy him one. Okay, I'll do it. He shook Patrice's hand. Don't let me down, little man. What's the plan once I hook you up? Nope, no more questions. I'll fill you in if you get me the kit. Gabe was a certified savant. When he put his mind to a task and the pressure of a deadline somehow nourished him, he started thinking of where he could find the requested equipment as soon as he stepped outside. His first thought, typically the weakest, automatically turned to electrical stores. He could simply rob one of these. The pitfalls of this particular idea were plentiful. Items displayed on the shop floor were usually non-functioning display models. The working versions were always confined to restricted storage areas at the back of the outlet. Targeting the general public seemed a far more feasible option. In safe and upmarket places, people sat with laptops bold as brass. He could attempt a snatch-and-run method and hope to outrun the owners. Again, this seemed too risky. The third idea that came to him appeared the most viable. The Lumia, where he duped the reporter was by far the fanciest hotel in the region. He wagered that at least one guest here would possess what he needed, and the plan he had in mind was far sneakier than pilfering the thing in plain sight. 
However, the security on site was substantial. Even finding his way inside presented difficulties. Discounting the Lumiere, another hotel remained an option, the Royal Palm. The Royal Palm attracted its fair share of affluent guests, as well as offering the advantage of a woefully incompetent staff and lax security measures. It had been an impressive facility in its heyday. He vaguely recalled when it still clung to all five of its stars. Eighteen months ago, it was relegated to a four-star hotel, and in light of the circumstances, he was surprised it had managed to remain even that. No renovation or refurbishment had been undertaken in his lifetime. It was also rife with thefts, and there was an infestation of rats in the refuse area. He had a feeling the not-so-royal palm was only still in business because of its location and faded former glory. Like the Lumia, it had a large outdoor terrace, even larger in fact, and it was often frequented by journalists and other professionals. When Gabe approached the back of the hotel and glanced at the terrace, he was pleased to discover it busy. Visibility was poor, so he decided to find a decent vantage point. He spotted a huge Akai palm close enough to the fence and deemed it fit for climbing. Gabe was a proficient climber, agile and remarkably strong for someone so skinny. He jumped up at one of the sturdy lower branches and started his ascent. Within seconds he was halfway up. While his view wasn't bad from this height, he wanted to see more of the terrace. He spied a robust cradle of branches overhead. In three swift movements he'd reached it. Then he hoisted his legs over a large protruding limb and straddled it like a pommel horse. Perfect, he thought, glancing down at the terrace. Gabe's eyes were excellent, not impaired from staring at screens, something his oblivious targets below would probably not relate to. But even with such keen eyes, it was difficult to know what he was looking at. He produced Patrice's list from his pocket. Truthfully, he could only picture two or three of the dozen models in his mind's eye, and that was because they were quite distinctive, popular ones. Of the hundred or so guests currently on the terrace, he counted seven of them working on a laptop, none of which were the models he required, or at least the ones he knew of. He remained in his seat for perhaps another half an hour or so, a cooling breeze caressing his dangling legs. He was starting to lose hope just as a portly, middle-aged man entered with a satchel slung around his shoulder. With no other leads, he kept his eyes on the man. His heart fluttered when the man slid something from his satchel. Bingo! The device was a vision in white, with the familiar logo embossed on the centre. Okay, we have one, he noted. One provided potential, but it wasn't enough. He needed options. Although he had much grander ideas in mind, the snatch-and-run method was still tempting. He knew he could outrun the man. He shook his head. There were far too many people in the area. He'd also already formed the rudiments of his other strategy. It'd be a disservice to abandon it. The plan was fairly complex. It'd potentially take him right to the wire and expend all of the time afforded to him by his lanky white friend. The idea excited him partly because it would utilise clusters of information that he'd held on to for over a year. It also involved various moving parts, many out of his control. Gabe waited for nearly an hour before the next potential target caught his eye, and like buses, two or more came along almost at once. 
His knowledge of the equipment mostly came from flyers and billboards. This was the only way he'd been able to recognise any of Patrice's suggestions, but on the near end of the terrace he spotted one labelled with the model as well as the make. This one was fortuitously close to him. Had it not been, he wouldn't have distinguished the sleek silver lettering on the inside. It glinted at him in the afternoon sun. Seconds after noticing this, he'd glimpsed his third and fourth fireball options. A middle-aged woman with a hideous haircut opened a case to reveal the same, the exact same model laptop as the first man. And a bald, topless Asian produced the fourth. Unfortunately, he left a minute later, but Gabe was still feeling optimistic. Three felt like a bounty. Informed of these wondrous possibilities by his keen eyes, it was now the task of his ears to move the plan on further. Gabe descended from his spying point in a matter of seconds. He swung down from the lowest branch and landed gracefully on his feet with the quietest of thuds. He crept near the corner of the terraced fence and waited, listening intently. There were various clues he was listening out for. One was the duration of each guest's stay, not a common thing to overhear. The other was a room number. After 20 minutes or so, his potential targets unhappily dropped down from three to two. The woman with the ugly short bob surrendered no salient information whatsoever. She left after paying for her tab in cash, which led him to believe that she might not even be a resident at all. Blissfully, however, the portly first target was a gold mine of information. Put it on room 3207, the Chessington Suite, Gabe heard him say to the waitress, before adding, I'm here all week. Perfect, the boy thought, committing both facts to memory. The other still live target was younger, thinner and far less vocal. Gabe worried he might learn nothing from the gentleman, an American from what he could tell, when he suddenly queried the couple next to him about transport options. I leave on Saturday, Gabe overheard him say. Great, he thought, three days from now. Now all he needed was a room number. The American took almost half an hour to disclose this. He was packing away his things when a waiter approached the table. Room 6014, he said barely louder than a whisper. Gabe would have missed it if he wasn't close enough to read the man's lips. It had taken him nearly two hours, but Gabe now knew of two guests who had the piece of equipment he required. He also knew what rooms they were staying in and how long for. The next part of the plan was perhaps the trickiest. It involved stealing a specific device. The little gem was integral to current grift, and it could prove useful for countless ones in the future. Not only did he know where the small accessory was kept, he also had assurances that the people safeguarding it were conveniently inept. Shivering with excitement, Gabe walked around to the rear of the vast hotel. The further he ventured, the more the aesthetics deteriorated. The structure of marble and full-bodied oak skirted by lines of glimmering gold made way for cheap plasterboard and unsightly grey brickwork. Undoubtedly, this part of the building would have been just as unappealing when it was new, for this was the area invisible to guests. He passed a staff smoking area, presently empty, and crept between two large skips, avoiding several rats along the way. At the end of the path was the security office. He knew, with an impressive degree of accuracy, the routine of the guard dwelling inside. 
Big Laz was an old friend of his brother, an immense bald young man with a barrel chest and arms thicker than the average person's waist. Every Wednesday, around 7pm, this creature of habit would leave the office unattended to take his cigarette break. Gabe knew, if he were ever caught, Laz would no doubt be reprimanded for abandoning the room. This was not quite as reprehensible as leaving the door on the latch, which he also did, simply so he wouldn't have to re-enter the code. Big Laz left the office right on cue and the boys scurried around the corner. Thankfully, a group of young women from housekeeping had joined the guard in the smoking shelter. Gabe watched them chatting, soon confident that Big Laz's attention was sufficiently diverted. He made for the door, pulling it towards him and pirouetting inside in a swift, seamless motion. Alone in the office, his heart started racing. The windows were blacked out. He'd be given no warning when the guard returned. He scanned the room. All of the bedroom corridor cameras were still out of action, he noticed. This issue remained unfixed was another part of the plan that he'd been counting on. Where would they keep this thing, Gabe thought to himself, slightly flustered. Then it almost seemed to spring out at him. In a blue case, haphazardly opened and in the middle of a counter, he spotted a small grey fob. He reached into the case and grabbed it. Then he flinched at the sound of Big Lazar's booming voice. The man was shouting back at someone, but his words were becoming louder. With no time for any other course of action, Gabe ducked under the counter. A few seconds later, in strolled Big Laz. The inner workings of Gabe's chest went into overdrive. His breathing was hard and fast and he covered his mouth to muffle it. The door, perhaps only a foot away from him, was still on the latch. He might have been able to make a run for it. Big Laz was slow, but Gabe would rather not risk being seen. He leaned forward, inching his head to the edge of the counter to glimpse the giant oaf typing away on his phone. In any case, the gap between the man and the doorway was not big enough to attempt an escape. Gabe panicked as he saw the man's massive boots pivot on the spot. Instinctively, the boy reached out to stop the door from closing shut. He swallowed a yelp as he trapped his fingers and managed to stifle the rebounding of the door with his other hand. He slid out the injured hand and breathed through the throbbing pain. He mouthed a few curse words and sucked on his fingertips while the guard, somehow oblivious, moved away from the door. He heard him collapse into a chair at the far end of the room. Although they were stinging with pain, Gabe could tell his fingers weren't broken and he considered a bit of a bruising was a small price to pay to stop the door from closing. If it had, he'd need to extend to his full height and reach for the latch to exit the room. A patently conspicuous manoeuvre. With the door still open a fraction, leaving unseen remained a possibility. Gabe waited silently under the counter. The only thing left to do now was to vacate the office unseen. He was sure an opportunity would present itself, eventually. After 15 minutes or so, he heard the phone ring. Security, Laz. Gabe heard a few hums and affirmative mumbles. OK, let me check for you. Then he heard the rustling of papers. This is it, Gabe thought. With no further hesitation, he clawed at the edge of the door, still exposed to him, and slowly pulled it ajar. He prayed that the big man was sufficiently distracted by his task not to notice. He opened the door just wide enough to admit his slight frame and held his breath. Three, two, one. 
Crouched down, remaining below the height of the counter, he leapt through the gap, nearly falling out of the office. He stood up and inhaled the free air, which smelled of stale beer and gone-off food. Now he could run. He sprinted for a dark recess in the bend of the building, shielded from the glaring floodlights overhead. Hiding in the shadows, he stood at the security office and the partially open door. After perhaps a minute, he saw movement, but it was just the door being slammed shut. If he'd suspected anything, the big oaf would have at least glanced outside. Gabe allowed himself to smile, continuing to grin as he reached into his pocket and examined his spoils. He turned the grey fob over in his palm. It was just a tiny, flimsy plastic cube with a cylinder at the end. The cylinder housed an arrangement of minuscule metal prongs. It held the fob up and muttered the corresponding code aloud. 5281. Big Laz was equally responsible for the boy's awareness of this. The moron had inadvertently blurted it to his brother once while Gabe was in the room. It's useless without the fob anyway, you macko, Laz had yelled afterwards when Deshane openly mocked him. This slip-up occurred perhaps a year ago, and Gabe made sure to commit the number to memory, certain he could make use of it eventually. The next part of the boy's plan further tested his abundant patience. Knowing breakfast would be the best time to strike, he'd have to wait and come back in the morning. He was in two minds about where to go from here. For a place to eat and rest his head, Patrice's was now his strongest option. How would he be received returning empty-handed, though? Not favourably, he supposed. Stumped for other ideas and emboldened by the faintest prospect of a free meal, he decided to cross that bridge when he came to it. An hour later, he was banging on Patrice's door. Once again, he was met with a hacker's sheepish face peering over the chain. He grinned. You got one already, little man? Not yet, Gabe replied. Patrice's smile vanished away. Then what you doing here? He made a shooing gesture through the gap. Scram, come back when you got what I asked for. I'm on it, don't worry. I just can't collect until tomorrow morning. Then come back tomorrow. I will, but I need somewhere to sleep. Patrice huffed. How do I know you aren't just playing me for a bed for the night? Listen, have I ever let you down before? Hmm, Patrice sighed. I suppose not. Okay, fine. He unfastened the chain. Come on then. Gabe smiled, just at the thought of not being left outside. He'd never choose to wander this area at night without good reason. He wasted no time after his step through the threshold. You got any food? It only dawned on him now that his last decent meal was with the Indian woman several days ago. Patrice sighed. I suppose you can help yourself to what's in the kitchen. As Gabe made a beeline for the fridge, Patrice called back. Anything other than the steaks, that's for working men. Gabe ignored the jibe. He was thankful for anything edible. He made himself a large chicken sandwich and asked where he could sleep. Patrice pointed to the sofa at the back of the living room. You get a bed when you fulfil your promise. Gabe sat down and chomped on his sandwich like it was a sacred offering, closing his eyes and savouring every mouthful with little moans of pleasure. Patrice was tapping away on a keyboard, occasionally stopping to tinker with other devices and all the while muttering and cursing to himself. With his belly full, the boy curled up on the sofa, felt himself easily drifting off a few minutes later. When he awoke, it was still dark outside, 
The room was empty. Patrice had clearly turned in. Gabe glanced at the clock on the wall. It was 5am. Although he considered napping for a little while longer, he shook his head and sluggishly staggered to his feet. He crept across the room and quietly closed the front door behind him. With ample time to walk to the Royal Palm, he opted for the longer, safer, street-lit way. Once on the hotel grounds, he scanned overhead for any cameras that might still be in operation. Taking a zigzag route, he felt like he'd missed most of them and hurried into the more discreet side entrance. The camera in the lobby was unavoidable, so he kept his head down and upped his speed, making sure he wasn't spotted by the single sleepy-looking woman manning the reception desk. He hurried for the stairs beside the lifts. He thought of the two room numbers. 3207 was the closest, so he aimed for that one first. He powered up three flights of stairs, taking the steps two at a time, then slowly opened the door to peer down the bedroom corridor. He noticed two maids strolling with their trolleys, thinking it best to avoid them if he could help it. He turned back on himself and ran up the next flight of stairs. Glancing down the fourth floor corridor, he was relieved to find it empty. He ran along it, safe in the knowledge that his movements weren't being recorded. Finding the next stairwell along, he stumbled down the stairs and returned to the third floor to take another look. He grinned, noticing the coast was clear. The room was easy to locate and he was delighted by what he saw. Housekeeping had already attended to the room, leaving it open for later inspection. He'd been counting on this. Too damned easy, he thought, snickering to himself. Cautious of the slim possibility of anyone being inside, he slowly pushed open the door. Empty, he noted with another wide grin. Thank God for early risers. Uncertain where the safes were situated, he scoured through the wardrobes and cupboards and was met with success when he opened the one by the door. He reached into his pocket to retrieve the fob. At the front of the safe was a small circular plastic cover. He unclipped this to reveal a port, a six-hole pattern corresponding to the prongs on his little grey device. He gleefully inserted the fob and waited. The LED screen flashed with zeros and he inputted his code, 5281. He muttered with each press of the button. There was a satisfying clunk and the safe door swung open. Just as he was starting to believe it had all been far too easy, he noticed that the safe was empty. Blood Clart had taken it to breakfast with him. He cursed to himself, pulled out the fob and returned to his feet. Only one option remained now. Gabe opened the bedroom door a fraction, once more paring down the corridor and ensuring the coast was clear. Then he sprinted down the hall, bursting into the nearest stairwell. He hurried up three flights of stairs and he reached the sixth floor. From the position of the last room, he inferred where the other would be situated. On opening the stairwell, though, he noticed that this corridor was teeming with housekeepers. It took a rather infuriating diversion via the eighth, then the ninth floor, followed by at least a minute of waiting to finally gain clear access to the room. Happily, the room was again awaiting inspection and left on the latch. Once inside, he found the safe immediately and opened it with the fob and code. Gabe gave an outward sigh of satisfaction. This time, the laptop was inside. He picked it up, but then felt a frisson of panic. 
it heard footsteps approaching and the faint sound of humming. This was followed by the sound of someone talking to a housekeeper. He nudged the safe door so it would at least appear locked and dived under the bed, still gripping the laptop. As he'd feared, the occupier was returning from breakfast. From under the bed, he watched a pair of black running shoes and a pair of pale legs pass by him. Gabe held his breath. He watched the feet move around him, praying for the guest to stay away from his now unlocked safe. They disappeared into the bathroom and he watched the door shut behind him. Gabe smiled. Thank God for old habits, he thought, considering that shutting the bathroom door was quite unnecessary with the outer door closed. A few seconds later, he heard the shower running. Thank you, Gabe mouthed. He crawled from under the bed with the laptop in his hands and struggled to his feet, attempting to be as quiet as physically possible while his heart went like the clappers. He lifted his shirt and shoved the large item down his shorts, pulling his shirt over the top of it. With no time to check for housekeepers, he opened the door and hurried down the hall. It was remarkable how unassuming he looked, strolling along with his hands in his pockets, secretly holding up the corners of the laptop. Though he cared little about being questioned by a housekeeper, now every sound of footsteps made him jump. Each time he envisioned the pasty American giving chase. Gabe made it all the way to the stairwell unmolested and finally he could relax. This time he followed the stairs all the way to the ground floor level where they led to a fire exit. Doubtful that the door was actually alarmed as it claimed to be, he kicked at the bar and felt the freeing embrace of the early morning light. For the duration of the walk back, Gabe refused to take his hands out of his pockets and lose the two bottom corners of the laptop. Again, he opted for the safer route, no side streets or alleys for him. When he eventually made it to Patrice's, he withdrew one hand and violently slammed his fist on the door several times in rapid succession. As if there was a mob of knowing people somewhere close behind. He banged the door again and again, no answer. He started to panic before realising that the man was likely still in bed. On the fifth or sixth attempt he heard movement, then the faint sound of Patrice's grouchy voice. All right, I'm coming. Patrice opened the door to the full extension of the chain. It's so damned early, he said mid-yawn. Please tell me you have it now. Gabe nodded with a smile. Patrice gave a slow nod and let him inside. Come on then, let me see it. Gabe pulled the laptop out of his shorts and handed it over. The man inspected it for a moment. Gabe's eyes darted back and forth between the laptop and his face. Please say it's the right one, he prayed, suddenly unsure of himself. Little man, Patrice eventually yelled. I could kiss you. I told you, Gabe said confidently. Do I ever let you down? Patrice grinned. I never should have doubted you, my friend. So what now? Gabe asked. What's the big plan? Well, first, little man, how about some breakfast? Gabe smiled an enormous toothy smile and followed his friend into the kitchen. Patrice suddenly became alive in here, flinging open cupboards, cracking eggs, mixing batter. The end result was a huge portion of pancakes with bacon and maple syrup. Gabe had never conceived of such a breakfast before and initially thought it was an odd choice. This opinion changed drastically upon the very first bite, after which he let out a contented groan.
and told Patrice that he was a genius. Patrice laughed. I will show you genius, my friend, he said as he poured himself a mug of coffee. He then went about disassembling the laptop Gabe had bought him. The ghost explained his lengthy plan in the circuitous fashion. There was significant preamble, various digressions, obscure analogies and indecipherable tangents, all the while Gabe struggled to stop his mind from wandering, mostly to Patrice's breakfast which was barely half eaten on the table. After a few minutes the man seemed to notice this and pushed the plate towards him. He started to clarify why he needed the particular laptop Gabe had stolen and how he couldn't have continued without it. This pleased Gabe, even though he didn't fully understand the significance. He remained no wiser about the plan from Patrice's ramblings until the man uttered the words, cyber hack. Oh, so you're hacking into people's bank accounts and taking their money, Gabe asked. Not their bank accounts, little man, no, their Bitcoin accounts. What's Bitcoin? It's a form of online currency, easier for someone, as skilled as me to steal, and harder to trace. Cool, Gabe said, though suddenly feeling conflicted. Rich tourists were fair game, he had no qualms robbing them. Conversely, the idea of parting poor Trinidadians from their hard-earned cash seemed cruel and immoral. Are you stealing from locals? Patrice laughed. No, little man. Far from it, I'll be targeting people on the other side of the globe. Europe, actually. This put Gabe's mind at ease. He chuckled, returning his attention to the delicious pancakes. If you'd like to learn more about JW Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media. Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode.